In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. One of the great joys that I have as a priest in this parish is that of participating in the midweek study group, which occurs during the program year, and I'll put a plug in for it now. We're a small group. It's uh, 12, sometimes more, depending on the topic. It, we've had as many as 20, I guess. And we gather and uh, sometimes go over Scripture, read Scripture together and reflect on it and what it means to us in our lives. But we've also started to read some other books to deepen our spirituality and our understanding. So we changed the name from the midweek Bible study to the midweek study group, since we do more than just Bible study. This past year, we read a couple of books by Marcus Borg. Marcus Borg is a North Dakota Norwegian. I'm a South Dakota Norwegian, so I can say that. (laughs) But there's more to him than that. He is uh, one of the more prominent members of an organization called the um, Jesus Seminar. And the Jesus Seminar is a group of scholars that was founded in 1985 by the late Frank uh, Robert Funk and John Dominic Crossan. Now, you may, uh, some of those names ring bells for you, I know. Uh, John Dominic Crossan is a wonderful New Testament scholar, has written prolifically and speaks prolifically as well. And the same can be said for Marcus Borg. Marcus, actually, I believe, is now an Episcopalian. He grew up Lutheran and then uh, later ended up in the Northwest and is now active in Trinity Cathedral in Portland, Oregon, where his wife is an associate priest. So we have, at least within our tradition, we can lay claim to one of these uh, really great scholars. Reading Marcus Borg had drawn us deeper and deeper, it seems, into a broader understanding of who Jesus was. Because the Jesus Seminar's primary purpose is to explore in a scholarly way the historic Jesus. Some have thought that this is something new, but actually over the last 200 years, this is the third scholarly attempt at uh, getting a clearer understanding of Jesus as a, as a person in a historical setting. One of the things that we found as we read Marcus was that he not only challenged us to understand more deeply and to expand our understanding, but also to reflect on what it was that we really believe. Now, I find myself, when I was in that group, I'm perhaps one of the more conservative members of that group, by the way, I found myself challenging some of my uh, more traditional views and exploring more deeply what Marcus was calling us to in terms of understanding who Jesus was in his time, but also who Jesus is for the church today. Well, as I reflected on this gospel today, I thought that in a way what Marcus was asking us to do was to answer the question that Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And I think ultimately that question is at the heart of our faith. How we answer that, I believe, makes all the difference in the world in terms of how we understand ourselves as Christians in the world and our relationship with Jesus. The gospel lesson uh, opens with Jesus off by himself with his disciples. And they are away at Caesarea Philippi, which is at the headwaters of the Jordan. 
a place where Jews had been persecuted, a place that was very important really in the life of Israel. And Jesus is there with them and asks them who people say that he is. And they reply, some say that you are John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the of one of the prophets. And one can imagine that to associate Jesus with one of the prophets must have indicated that he was quite an extraordinary person on the scene. Because if you recall about the prophets, the prophets were very unusual people. Some of them did very strange things like running through the city without any clothes on. We don't think Jesus did that. But Jesus certainly was one who challenged power in a way like those prophets had challenged power. And it was perhaps the message that they heard Jesus delivering that made people think this is one of the prophets returned or this is a prophet new for our time. Then after they respond to Jesus, Jesus asked them more pointedly, but who do you say that I am? And immediately Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to that, affirming it by saying that flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. It hasn't been the theories of any scholars. It's not been what other people have said. You have had that revealed to you from God. You are blessed, Peter. And on you, I will found my church on you, this rock. And to you, I will give the keys so that what you loose in, in on earth will be loosed in heaven. And Peter became the rock upon which the Christian church was to be founded. Many of us Protestants struggle with that passage because we understand the Bishop of Rome to be Bishop of Rome, but not necessarily our prelate. And yet the Roman Catholic Church has claimed that is sort of a succession of Peter. Many scholars would agree that it's just not on the uh, what what Peter said or his attitude is what the church was founded on. But rather, Jesus was very specific. He was founding the church on Peter. Peter would be the head of it. But scholars also generally agree that did not mean that the succession would necessarily be always from one Peter representative to another Peter representative. Of course, as humans, the church had to be formed as it is because we require organization and require hierarchy, it seems. We just can't draw ourselves away from it. But I think it's important for us to think about what Jesus was saying in that moment to Peter. Peter, on you, I'm going to found this church. You will be the leader. And then he says that his name will be changed. And that is an echo, of course, of the uh, Hebrew scriptures where Abram becomes Abraham as he is made head of a people who would worship the true God. And now Jesus makes Simon, Peter, who will be head of his church. One of the things that I find especially hopeful in this passage is that it is Peter who seems to be at the center of this account. And it's Peter to whom Jesus entrusts the most valuable thing he could pass to him, and that is his legacy, his church. Peter 
I believe, is more like us than anyone else that we see in Scripture. He's sometimes headlong. He goes where he shouldn't go. He strikes out and he is impetulant. He reflects, I think, many of the things we can see in ourselves and in which we see in in each other. And so I'm encouraged to know that when Jesus founded the church, he founded it knowing that he was founding it as a human institution with a human head. I think many of us get frustrated with the with the church and with the sinfulness we see in it, the imperfection we see in it. And certainly we Episcopalians have had our share of that imperfection and human failing. But I think that the passage reminds us that Jesus saw in Peter and in you and in me still the possibility for wonderful things to happen within the church, even though we are human and even though we sin and we fail. Over the years, I've heard people say that they don't go to church because it's filled with all those hypocrites or the priest did something that offended them or they had done something in support of the church and it had never been acknowledged or recognized. Well, I'm sure that all of those things are true of every congregation I've ever been a part of. It is the way we are. We are an imperfect lot. We make mistakes. We do things that we shouldn't do. And we fail to do things that we should do. But in spite of that, Jesus entrusted this glorious institution to us, imperfect as we are. Well, I believe that those who gathered with Jesus that day had a renewed sense or perhaps a new sense of who he was. And I think that that is part of the message of the writer of Matthew to us. I think he wants us to see that this Peter, who would later deny Jesus three times in the court while Jesus is being interrogated inside, that Peter is the one that Jesus would entrust the church to. We all may fail from time to time, but still... Our God and our Christ does not turn his back on us, and he trusts us with that which is most precious. And just like the disciples, I think at some point we too must answer the question, who do you say that I am? I think that is the most fundamental question for us to answer. And I don't think we will ultimately rely on the theories of scholars or upon the opinions and views of other people, I think ultimately we will, like the disciples, come to that conclusion ourselves based upon our relationship with the living Christ. And every time that we gather at this holy table and we come together and as that hymn was telling us just before the gospel, we find our unity around that table. We find ourselves gathered around the living Christ The one who draws us together as imperfect as we are, drawing us together and every week, week after week, reminding us how much he loves us, even in our imperfection. And for that, we can give God glory and give thanks for the church. Praise be to God. Amen.